okay video coming to you from Calgary, Alberta. Harvey's on 36th has opened again. I got scared for a while there because the building was all ripped apart and clearly closed. Then we went for Christmas Eve dinner at Swiss Chalet, and to our horror, it was closed too. What was going on with our comfort food hangouts mere moments from home? Turns out they were joining forces and have now formed a combination Swiss Chalet and Harvey's. Phew. I'm Nathan Rohr, and Harvey's genuinely has one of my favorite burgers in the city. I'm joined, as always, by Ryan McCullough. Hey there, Ryan here. Also, also a big Harvey's fan. Uh, you and I have connected over Harvey's many times over For many years, years yeah. Um, and the one over here, the one by me in Signal Hill, like it shut down, but then they re- they brought it back by combining it with the Swiss Chalet they put in there. So, yeah, I guess this is the new way to keep which, them going. I mean, and it's so weird because you go to different parts of the country, and Harvey's is like a legitimate, like full-on thing. Like it is like an establishment whereas like calgary just feels kind of feels what? like they're clinging on for dear life a little bit well, or and that's something. the thing like i was just in edmonton over the weekend and edmonton has many standalone harveys so i don't know i but when you go what, to, like, what are calgarians eating instead like what are they turning to probably AW is a big deal here um i guess i mean there's one right near us i don't go there a lot I don't know I, what it is I, about their their whole deal right now, but like they they kind of pride themselves on like, hey, this is like responsibly sourced or something, or like yeah. there's no chemicals in this or whatever. Something about that tact just kind of bothers Brittany and I a little bit. They're just like, I, oh, get off your high horse. Who cares? Lots of stop care. stroking your backs and patting yourselves right, all lots the time. Of people care. Because it, because if it's something as ethically sourced, care. like because if something ethically sourced, that means that generally speaking, it's like the better direction. Okay, Ashley's a big A and W person. I used to be anti A and W, but then she brought me back into the fold, and like, there's some things that they do that I really like. Like their burgers taste like a burger. I can make from scratch. Versus... It just feels like they're shaming you when you're driving by. <laughs> like they're just they're just kind of you... shaking their heads and looking down their noses at you for like not well, eating or there. Or they're just being like, "Hey, come eat here because this is what we're doing." Like, like just giant font on the side of the building, like no preservatives. It's just like, oh, sorry, I don't know. Like I, I think you're definitely inferring the wrong the wrong inflection. No, the, it's uh, they're so up inside their plus own. Plus, they use buttholes. real cheddar cheese, and I've never been a like american cheese fan so i I really can't eat uh american cheese anymore responsibly i was looking at some uh, sodium content the other night (laughs) and even the thin little ones it's like nah i I should not buy this so that's what i mean like well i first of all i just i don't think it's good cheese but i like cheddar cheese on a burger and like aw's it's like proper cheddar like it's a real cheddar slice yeah so that's that does me hey i like root beer though i'm never gonna slag their root beer it's fun (laughs) They you know chill the, States, the glasses. You know in it's the cool. States that uh, A&W is a different company than A&W Canada? So and the root beer is like Coke or something? Well, no, no, no. Like just like completely separate companies that have different restaurants. And like in the States, A&W is like bottom tier fast food. Like it's oh. like Jack in the Box tier. It's like fast Del food. Taco or something. Yeah. Like okay. it, is, it is like, so Americans come up here and they're like, they hear about A&W and they're like, why would we ever go to A&W? It's garbage. And it's like. Oh, no, like, there's a different game plan played up here. Plus, okay. their breakfast, man, like, when you go to their breakfast, it's, like, cracked eggs. Like, they're cooking you cracked the eggs. The bacon and egger. It's real. No, 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 I'm talking about, like, you can get, like, a like two pieces of toast, two eggs, sausage, or bacon, 
meal, like a proper... Like, it's not like a plastic pouch of egg whites or no, something? No, 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 it's like a cracked egg that you order. Like, you can say, oh, I want it over hard or over easy. And there's a chicken right there up. and everything. Yeah. And... No, I'm just bugging it. <laughs> but yeah, okay. There's chicken right there. Anyways, uh, but yeah, no, we're big Harvey's people. Uh, I like Harvey's. I like those pickles. Like, that's my big jam. What's your f- genuinely favorite burger? This is fascinating to me. Uh, I get tomatoes a lot and the banana peppers. That's that's all usually staples. But you said uh, like that. So the version of burger you make is your favorite hamburger? Yeah, it's just that you get to choose and it's fresh okay. stuff, you know. Yeah. I used to load up on the pickles, but again, sodium, Ryan. So <laughs> we're, we're like I had to really study the fat burger menu to try to get something that was tolerable. And it, it made it. I figured it out. Okay. But multigrain bun, save hundreds of milligrams right there. Yeah. So freeze you up a little bit. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. I just fast food generally is probably not the wisest sodium choice. No, but sometimes like I, I was literally just like, I just want a hamburger. I just want a big, big old hamburger to eat. Kind of sometimes yeah. comes upon me, and I, I could make it myself, I guess, but I don't have that sitting around. So do you want a little so. bit of a hack, just in case? Like, are you, what is your opinion on McDonald's? Ah, uh, really sodiumy. And no, no, I understand. I'll I'm eat saying like, it, but yeah, okay, yeah. So I'm a big fan of just their plain hamburgers, like their plain cheeseburgers, like the, sure, yeah, little. But guys. if you go and you ask for the bun to be steamed, you get a steamed bun. It comes out fluffy and not like the smush thing that they give you when you buy just a regular hamburger. Oh, okay. And it's they'll do free. that for you. What are they steaming it in? Well, it's <laughs> what they do thing? with all the buns. Like this, it's like a steamer that makes the bun feel fresh, even if it's stale. Oh, okay. It's like they do all of, all of the burgers you buy that, that are normal, that come in boxes, have steamed buns. So if you want to make it look a little more like the poster. And you want it to be a little fluffier. Like it is, it does taste better because it's not a smushed garble mess that you're well, eating. Well, sometimes I just want to eat some salt pucks and okay. <laughs> head Fair on enough. over to McDonald's. Fair enough. Uh, okay. But yeah. Anyways, we're not a burger place though. We are a movie podcast and my name is Ryan. This is Nathan. I'm sure there. Do you think there's burger podcasts? Just like, hey, it's new burger oh, this week. Nathan, but it's like 30 every, minute episodes. Think of it. Think of a subject. Any subject there's right now. Lego. There's okay. Lego podcast. And combine that with another, and then think of another subject. Pink Panther. There's probably somewhere out there a podcast that talked about Lego and Pink Panther in the same like same. Like episode. just trying to make make them out of custom bricks. Like there's not yeah. enough pink bricks in 100%. the sets. Yeah. That's I guarantee you. I guarantee you it type of thing. It, I don't know why. I'm, I'm assuming it's about the cartoon, though, instead of someone building a Clouseau, but who knows? No, I assume, too, it's about the cartoon. I also think it's hilarious that, like, can you imagine a podcast about Lego? Like, just, it would be, like, it's, it's a visual well, media. I would assume it would be a video podcast, right? Yeah, sure. Like, yeah. you'd have to have a visual I just feel like somebody talking about like, Lego. Oh, I'm just oh, describing this, this incredible thing I built over here. <laughs> it's so good. Oh, my God. You should, you should see it. I mean, and to then, be fair, there's many times where we get into conversations where it's like, what are, what are you, what are we doing? This is a visual medium we're talking about here. It is a visual trying. medium we are discussing, so we got to use our words. We got to try. Uh, but anyway, this week features the last Britney pick in our batch of ladies' choice films, Beetlejuice from 1988. Uh, it was released March 30th, so we're coming up on the 35th anniversary here. I'd say it qualifies as a bit of a surprise hit, grossing $75 million, give or take, on a $15 million budget and clearing the path for director Tim Burton to become a Hollywood fixture for decades. Uh, it was conceived by novelist Michael McDowell and adjusted into its current form by Warren Skarin. Uh More on that later, but before we proceed, 
Ryan has the rundown on this late 80s gem. Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice. Oh, almost got me. So, after a happily married couple find themselves inconvenienced by their deaths, they attempt to haunt out the people who now own their home. They use some pretty shady tactics to try and get these new homecomers out of their house. I'm not sure if uh, any of it would hold up in court. Does this newly deceased couple call on a demon who will steal our hearts and likely enslave our souls? Find out as we discuss Beetlejuice. Shoot. I said it, I said it three times. Yeah, so here he is. Anyway. Uh... But here's the thing. I think this is the rule. You have to do it. It has to be three in succession, doesn't it? Uh, consecutive. I mean, the community in joke says no. You just say it gradually over three years, and then a cosplayer appears or whatever. It's a funny little bit they did. Okay. Uh, but uh, or like Alec Baldwin says, Beetlegeist somehow just by reading it really wrong, which works uh, out because it. Uh... Or Beetlemeyer. He keeps saying like not right at things. Yeah, but I mean that works out because that's why we don't we don't get Beetlejuice earlier because he keeps saying. He keeps saying it wrong. Yeah, no, he is he is the title character, but uh, as IMDb trivia will point out, he's like in this for like fourteen minutes or something. Like he is. Fleeting. Oh yeah, you're talking about Beetlejuice. I thought you were talking about Alec Baldwin. I was like, no, I, no, Alec Baldwin, Mister Adam Maitland is yes. one of the stars. Here's the but... thing, though. So my whole so I didn't see this movie until I was in my late teens. Okay, I grew that, up watching yeah. the cartoon. I remember that cartoon vaguely. Uh, is it okay? I liked it. I liked there... it a lot. My okay. parents see, my parents didn't like Tim Burton, so I wasn't allowed to watch his movies that were Batman. Too, like, gothic or something? They just or... didn't like him. They just didn't like his aesthetic, his style, so they didn't want to waste money on me renting their movies type of thing, because I didn't, I didn't pay for these rentals, so I was like, oh, can I rent this? And they'd be like, no. Nah, this looks... Eh, find something they else. Just, I think they saw Beetlejuice. They just didn't like it. And so they're like, yeah, we don't really want you to watch it because we don't want to pay money for it again type of sure. thing. Sure. Okay. They felt burned somehow by Yeah, they're just, that aesthetic, that gothic, weird style that he kind of brings to his films just don't work with my parents. The um, bow welchiness everywhere. Yeah. Whereas, so before, I mean, other than the two Batman movies... The first Burton movie I really cared about in my life was Mars Attacks, and I was I was fully on board with seeing that movie. I got my dad. I was like, we're seeing this in theaters. I was cutting out like posters from the magazines. I love the little green men making those weird sounds. Like, sure, I was fully yeah. on board. That had but a then, really fun throwback look, I guess. Yeah. yeah. So, anyways, yeah. So Beetlejuice, I didn't know much about it. I thought, based upon the cartoon show, going into this movie, that like it was gonna star Michael Keaton. And it was all about his shenanigans. And it was about his shenanigans because in the cartoon show, Beetlejuice is not a bad guy. He just, like, you say his name three times and then you get transported to a fun world where you're going to go on adventures with Beetlejuice. Oh, yeah, okay. He's he's mischievous, but in that entertaining way. Like, he's not sure. evil. Yeah. Well, I mean, it just depends upon how you look upon a demon marrying a 14-year-old girl. Which is core to both things, right? Lydia is still prominent in the cartoon. But they're like, it's like not uh, against her will in the cartoon show. Sure. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's it's just a weird. I remember watching it the first time and having no, being constantly surprised by like what was happening because I had zero. Turned out I had zero idea what this movie was actually about. Okay. Because the cartoon show, though, it gets like the Beetlejuice 
like antics pretty right doesn't have any like connecting points between the two because her parents in the cartoon show are just like absent-minded town folk like townies like not new york they're not yuppies they're not yuppies no seems to be the thing here is yuppies invading small town like connecticut or whatever with their sensibilities i i think i first saw beetlejuice kind of stumbled on tv at my cousin's house when i was probably like 12 or something like this i would i would guess yeah uh and just kind of oh i've heard of this because i had dim awareness of the cartoon which would have still been on when i was like five or something so i would have like known that was on tv uh four i guess because i think it ended in 91 but it probably got some reruns and whatever for a bit there uh so i had dim awareness and then just watched it and was like oh this is this is zany this is entertaining this is this is crazy I think always I was surprised that the main characters just kind of die like right away. (laughs) Like it's such a fun, like, all right, we're just getting into it. Like a couple moments into this movie, this like really innocuous, low impact car crash happens and no, they died. (laughs) Like it's, it's kind of a fun. I think my theory is that they get knocked out and then they drown. Yeah. They drown underwater because there's no way. They both simultaneously must have got knocked out because there's no way a crash like that would, like the the car wasn't even sinking, so you can't even like say it's like a a giant river or lake or something like that. So it's hard for them to. No, there's like this little covered bridge over a creek. A <laughs> dog a crosses their path, and they go oh, and then f- tip over. Yeah, tip and over nobody's around, so yeah. that that's it. They're toasted. Uh, uh, yeah. I I didn't like this movie when I first saw it. Okay. I, it's definitely grown on me. I really, I do like it now. But when I first saw it, I got really grumpy about some very specific things that, like... I, Inadequate, like, volume of, of Beetlejuice? Or what was that, the And, like, I liked this couple. And it was, like, the whole premise of the movie was, like, man, this couple's so... Like, they got a promising life ahead of them. They, like, seem happy. And yeah. then all of a sudden it's, like, no, yeah, no, they're they're dead. And they just are now going to be ghosts stuck in this wasteland of ghostdom. That does I, happen, but I feel like it, it's so g-shucks or something about them being dead like it's the most positive ghost i'm not defending my dislike of it i think it was just like what i was expecting was this thing over here like the cartoon show and what i'm getting is this something that's not that and i was thrown for loop wasn't on board with this couple being like hard timed it's like a rug pull in the bad way where it's like oh i fell over well it's one of those things where i watched the wrong thing first I watched the adaptation of Beetlejuice rather than actually watching Beetlejuice and built up like, a thing. And yeah. And, and then sure. I, I just thought it was this fun thing. I also just don't think I like Alec Baldwin generally always. This is an odd role for him. Yeah. Like I was even looking at, it, it's just like, I don't think he ever rocked this haircut ever again in any of his films. This <laughs> like, haircut, there's just I think little he has, bits. Yeah. yeah. I think this is his haircut as he has his Jack Ryan, isn't it? bespectacled and everything he just looked different to me oh, his I, I feel look. it's I a lighter had... tone of color even it is i think, his hair is, black I think hair that's his i think that's Jack his Ryan. natural hair color and then yes i think he dyed it as he got more famous roles sure to be yeah, yeah. Man material apparently um, he doesn't love himself in this and doesn't watch this movie there was like a little sure, blurb it, about that yeah i this movie doesn't feel something that like if i was like a baldwin a baldwin brother was going to star in a tim burton movie i'd be like why why would tim burton do that at some point in the trivia, it said, like, Bill Pullman was up for this role. And I was just oh, like, perfect. that's a lateral move. Like, that wouldn't change anything. Like, th- this would but be just as good. But it would have been a little bit better. If- Bill Pullman has, like, some comedic sensibilities. He's in Casper. 
he would be in Casper, and he was already Lone Star in a fan favorite Spaceballs at this point. Oh, sure. So. That's what I mean. So I'd, <laughs> it wouldn't be lateral in my mind. It would be a little bit of a step up. Sure. If anything, it's a step up. I was saying there's like no loss, no no oh, yards yes. no, lost no, no. There's with that definitely, decision. Yeah. There's no loss because Alec Baldwin isn't famous at this point. Like he's not a leading man that he's soon trying to be. Okay. This is. Before... I think I, I still like Alec Baldwin in this movie just for one moment when he has the big nose that got sure. a laugh out of me when I first saw it, and I still love it. I think okay. it's funny. Good. So, I do good like Gina him. Davis quite a bit. Gina Davis I, is great. Yeah. And she's great in this too. So. As Barbara, like, uh, yeah. yeah, like this little this little intro you get, like w- when we Brittany and I sat down to watch it, I was kind of like, oh yeah, they're like a childless couple, right? Yeah, and it's like yes, but there's like a little little bit of like there's like a little sad moment with Gina Davis where it's like you kind of get the sense they had a miscarriage or something happened, like or that they tried... yeah, or one of them one of them is is infertile in some way. Something there's a little yeah. twinge of sad right at the start when the when the lady kind of judges them for having such a big house it's just like you should really not be in this house you should let a family have it oh i'm sorry like there's just this kind of like all right go away jane we hate you (laughs) just this little friction between the townspeople uh but i kind of i think part of why i like this movie is there's this kind of neat couple at the center of it i know they die but (laughs) it still has like a sweet like pair of characters that I'm rooting for in the afterlife. There's definitely a roundabout way that they go to, (laughs) to adopt a kid, to adopt a kid. It's really sweet. Yeah. It's really funny. But it's also kind of, is it kind of sweet? Because what lesson is this teaching like her actual parents who are alive? Like they, they, they get cooler at the end of the story. They get cooler at the end, but by being a little bit more absent because it's jumping. We're not going to jump. We'll just jump a little bit. (laughs) It, it literally is just them, like, it's greeting like, her hey, at the door. hey, you yuppies aren't great parents. Let these small-town ghosts look after your kid a little more. I mean, <laughs> like, she it's more home. her vibe. This is what I mean. Like, she gets home after doing a test, and they're, like, they the ghosts immediately greet her at the door, like, what did you get on the test? And they're, like, so excited and all these things. And then you cut to the other room where her real parents are, and they're, like, oh, she must have done well in her test. And then they went back to their business. And I'm like, it's like, is... I'm going to keep sculpting and whatever. Well, it's a weird family scenario, but it's, <laughs> I thought it was really sweet at the no, end. No, no, it, it definitely is sweet. It's just when you think about the contextualization of like, no ghosts are essentially her real parents now. And these real parents are like just absent because they got these ghosts now to take care of her. Yeah. Again, there's kind of little sad, like, I guess they don't get into it, but, uh, Lydia's real mom has passed away like yes. recently. Yeah, this sort is of her the, stepmom. Yeah, this is the stepmom that she's not really getting along with. But at the end of everything, at the end of this fleeting 92-minute little movie, they <laughs> they kind of manage to compromise and figure things out and everybody's laughing and happy at the end of it. Despite I think this is this is one of my favorite things about this movie is despite how like melancholic and dark some of the subject matter is i'm like yeah. smiling the whole time oh, even sure. though there's literally like teen is, suicide and yeah but like, that's something that he tim burton does remarkably well is to take like the like take like the darkness of the world and then make it comedic or light in some way right like yeah if you were to watch nightmare before christmas on mute children children would have nightmares just this creepy skeleton guy yeah, like, spooking around. Literally trying to steal like Christmas away and kidnap Santa and and it's like 
All these You're right, things. yeah. Jack Skellington's enthusiasm for Christmas is in the vocal performance and, like, what he's saying. Yeah, and saying. the music and all that stuff. Like, And Danny Elfman brings a lot to Tim Burton's work, too, to bring, like, gothic, but, like, in a within a pop sensibility, like, in that, like, fun, upbeat way. Actually, yeah, I... I'm on this. I'm on board with like Beetlejuice from the jump because like Danny Elfman is killing it. Oh, it's during his... that like helicopter flyover. Yes, trickery. no, that his Beetlejuice's theme music is great, and the cartoon show is that's the the intro is the same music. Great. So it's great. It's like well, it's you can't one of those... top it. So just yeah. use it. Yeah. Um, and this is early Danny Elfman, right? He this is a guy who just left Oingo Boingo, like because he's. He had just done like I, I kind of want to say Oingo Boingo still kind of existed because they would do a Ghostbusters two soundtrack song like the and next Danny Elfman year. was still part of the band at that point. Oh yeah, no, he's okay. the lead singer in that. So Kay. like Oingo so, yeah. Boingo is never like gone, but it's it's a back. It becomes the secondary thing he's doing yeah. to film composing. Yeah. Yes, yeah, um, yeah. So you can just yeah, he's bringing this sensibility. Um, so yeah, we get this couple and they. They die. I I think that tragic moment also might have got me because they're like, oh, there's so much potential for them to like, they want kids and they're dead. And even in that moment, they're like, man, we're going to have such a kick-ass vacation. This is going to be great. (laughs) And then it immediately, nope, you died that day, that afternoon. It's like, oh, no. Yeah, Yeah, there's a tragedy to it for sure. So then- and they, then their their home starts getting like torn away Well, then they walk into their, so the next thing we see is them walking into their house soaking wet- and then they start moving around and weird things are happening because they don't realize yet that they're dead. Like that stuff hasn't become reality to them. Yeah. And then yeah. then it's them living I, I at the house. I feel it's like a subtle play on the audience too with like how gradually that – that like how subtly that is played. Like if just like this fade out from this absurd comic car crash and then <laughs> them arriving at home and being kind of bummed out. It's just like, all right. Like other than the fireplace lighting up on its own, nothing like – is tipping it too clearly that that has happened until they're like stepping off the porch and nonsense is happening. Like you're on a moon of Saturn or whatever, or Titan and there's a sandworm or dune. Well, there, yeah, there's little sandworm writing at one point, which I forgot about, but yeah, well, but I mean like there's, you gotta, when I watched this after watching, obviously dune and becoming more aware of it now, cause I hadn't seen it since being more aware of dune. Yeah. I was like, oh, this is like cartoon Dune World. Like, this is – these are sandworms. This is like a, a literal desert planet with weird objects everywhere. Yeah, kind yeah. of. Yeah. Varrakis, whatever that planet's called. Something. <sighs> Great question. Dune. Dune lore. Um, Yeah, so the weird stuff then starts happening. Man, when does – every time I watch this movie, I'm always like, when – we don't get really introduced to Beetlejuice until the New York people show up, right? The new homeowners, because that's when he he's uh, reading okay, his so newspaper. The, yeah, the, the the him seeing like, oh, let's check the employment section or whatever, and it's the obituaries, yes. and then you see like a still of them in the house after they've died. So it it's a like ten minutes at least before you get a glimpse of him. And way longer before, like, they see the TV commercial and yes. start wondering about, like, hiring him and whatever. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, um, yeah. I've always been wondering, after watching this movie, because I was like, a sequel, in my mind, a sequel always made sense because if it was anything like the cartoon show, 
Beetlejuice just goes on another adventure with Lydia. Like, right? Like, I was like, oh, it's an easy sequel. But after watching this actual movie, what is the sequel, Beetlejuice 2, that they've been working on for 35 plus years? Like, 35 years? Looking around at, like, some of the credits of these people, like, Tim Burton's idea was, like, maybe even a sarcastic joke. I don't know that he ever wanted to actually do this, but it's Beetlejuice Goes Hawaiian, where it's, like, Tiki-themed, and it's Michael Keaton as Beetlejuice in Hawaii somehow, and it's, like, the With contrast. another family? Like, do we just completely abandon all the characters from this movie? I don't know if the Deepses and the Maitlands and everything would... I don't think they're essential to this, because their haunting situation has sort of been resolved, right? Yes. So it'd be, like, Beetlejuice off doing something else. Unless and Beetlejuice then, wants revenge, because here's the thing. And Warren Scarn's idea was Beetlejuice in love, which is, like, That's apparently what I mean. like, a screenplay that has exists somewhere. So... so Cartoon shows change the makeup of movies all the time. Because when we were kids, I the Ghostbuster movie, Ghostbusters, Slimer is not he's a villain and he doesn't talk and he doesn't hang out with the Ghostbusters. Yeah. And that movie is like pretty adult oriented. Like it there's a blowjob joke, like Ray's getting a blowjob from a like a ghost. ghost joke. Yeah, that, that that happens. Yeah. Then between the first movie and the second movie, a really famous popular go like re- cartoon show comes out called real ghostbusters in which slimer is a cast member like eventually the show gets renamed slimer and the real ghostbusters because <laughs> that's he's so how popular. popular he is on this show and yeah. this is still before 1988 because i i watched uh i was watching an, the the debut episode of the beetlejuice cartoon show on archive uh internet archive and it was just a guy who uploaded his vhs tapes so it was like great because i got to watch all those old cartoon like commercials yeah and one of them was, yeah, Slimer and the Ghostbusters still before Ghostbusters 2 came out. And then Ghostbusters 2 comes out, and it's such a different movie. Like, all of a sudden, Ghostb- like Slimer has a cameo, but it's like a fun cameo. And the movie well, is like he, He's more like hanging around towards... the firehouse, and like Rick Moranis is interacting with him yes. and stuff. Yeah. I and thought he looked terrible it's a little more... in the second movie, though. <laughs> yes. Like, special a little more like wise. cartoony. It's a little more of like a kid's movie. So it's like, would Beetlejuice 2 just be like, Michael Keaton is now the main character and and has to be, and we have to like him by the end of the movie, rather than like, he's kind of like the the lovable but antagonist of this movie type of thing, like kind of like Stole or Hurts, but he is the antagonist. Like He's, he's, trying he's to... kind of a creep though, even yes. in this, and then like hearing what the original Michael McDowell idea was, he was like way more towards like Pennywise or something, like he was really evil. Oh, sure. I don't think sure, you know? Yeah. Where Michael Keaton's performance of him is far more doofy and goofy. Goofball, zany. But there's still, like, a little, like, creepy element to how he's, like, after Lydia and everything. And And you definitely can't think about it. I don't think the movie wants you to think about it too much because they're kind of just, like, he doesn't actually like Lydia. He just needs this to become free, essentially. Mm. I feel like the, this movie has like right after he meets Lydia, he's like, "Ooh, I'm feeling, I'm, I'm feeling a bit peckish or whatever." And then he has he goes to like the strip club, so he's horny for Lydia. I don't yeah, think it's like I know. not there, but yeah, you're right. There's definitely gags around it. It's especially weird because like Winona Ryder is like 16 or 15 at the when she was filming this, um, but like I just don't know how you would. Do a sequel where, like, he... It seems like Beetlejuice falls in love or goes to Hawaii 
makes him the main character and they're almost redeeming him in the second movie because Michael Keaton also blew up way bigger because Beetlejuice was like the main character. He became like the, the stigmatic figure. And that's what I was trying to get at with the cartoon because the cartoon all of a sudden is like, he's the main character. Like he's no longer haunting people. He's just going on crazy adventures in the nether sphere or whatever it's called. Yeah. With Lydia. Um, I mean, he he's still like a wild presence in this movie in his in his short amount of time. I kept like yeah. thinking of him like he is like a habanero pepper in this chili or whatever. Like sure. he's like the spice or whatever that brings it all to the next level. Uh, but he's judiciously used. Like you just get a little bit with him, a little bit with him, and then he's the final act. Kind of is when I just he's yeah, really and that's what I, was, I just don't see that for the sequel them doing the same thing. I think it would be like a pivot. To focus on him. Oh, yeah. I could see that. I, I, just, I don't see the studio allowing him to be reined in again for another movie. He would be all over Yeah, because he thing. was the breakout. But then I'm just saying, like, as a... Like, would that movie then work to have too much of him? Because right now it's kind of like the perfect amount. I I agree. It's like, like yeah, like him being in, like, 20% of this movie works really well for yes. how live wire he is. Yeah. If if it could be exhausting, it could be like an exhausting kids movie or like a Jim Carrey well, movie. Especially if <laughs> they, know. if because like part of what makes him funny is his inappropriateness. But could that inappropriateness take center stage and we still find him endearing enough to be the main character? You it's a risky I mean? game. Yeah, yeah that's uh, like we might tougher. get the chance to see it. What with uh, Top Gun making eleven billion dollars and everything. That's uh, that's green lighting the the sequels. The well, that's the wave. thing. Like le- legacy sequels were already making a comeback, but Top Gun kind of like solidified that. Like, no, you can go deeper in because Goonies has been in like two has been in development hell for also decades. Oh and yeah, like recently, Richard Donner was talking about it the rest of his life. Like, oh yeah, same with Lethal Weapon Five. Both of those movies have like develop active development on it. Sure. Right now. I could more see momentum than, building after the the signal was lit or whatever, like the canary. Like to the point where, like lit. Mel Gibson got hired. He is the director of the fifth movie. They're working okay. on the script right now, and it's like, all right, yeah, yeah. We just live we in a world where, where own. yeah, Beetlejuice two seems more possible than ever, and Tim Burton is not doing Disney anymore. Like he swore off working for Disney. So okay, what what else is he? He's working on TV now, so maybe this will be his way back into film. It's Warner Brothers, right? Was this? This is Warner, yeah. Okay. Was, like The logo I remember is like the Geffen Company. Geffen Records, which was like a music label, big music label back in the day. But I think Warner Brothers ended up distributing, but Geffen made the movie, like paid sure. for it. So sure, yeah. So, so. Uh, Keaton's great, though, man. Wow. Yeah, Keaton is pretty great. What a it's transformation, no, though. Like, that's I know it's him, this. but when I see him... I see Beetlejuice. I don't. I, mean. I don't like, think about Bruce Wayne or anything. You know. We talked about this in a podcast recently, didn't we? Where we talked about how like, we, what other movie was it where we were like, this was Keaton to a lot of people. Like my parents. Oh, we were talking about Bruce Willis because we were talking about Death Becomes Her. Oh, and it like was kind of like, comic miscast. Like uh, yeah, like we casting. grew up with Bruce Willis being an action star, and we grew up with Michael Keaton being Batman. Like. That's who Michael Keaton is to me. Like Mr. Mom and then this. Like he's a comedy man. That's and what then... I mean. Like for my dad, my dad is like, no, Michael Keaton's a comedian actor first and then he's Batman. To me, it's like, no, he's Batman and then does some And then he did multiplicity stuff. for some reason. And... Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Whatever, yeah. But it was like, no, he is 
like fully a comedic actor like first. serious comic chops that's why he's so funny and the other guys like he, that's his bag that is know? his bag and yeah. yeah and it's it's weird because he seemed to be a guy that moved on from it like bruce willis who kind of became a little too self-serious but in like that i'm now a serious actor type of way mm-hmm. like i only do dramas and I'm like, it made me sad because, oh, like, so when he did the other guys, I was like, oh, this is a shining light of like, hey, man, you, this is great. Like, it's like, it's like Bill Murray, who when he does a comedy now, it's like, oh, this is great rather than like a drama or he kind of goes between like dramas quirky, and Wes Anderson. dramedy, you know. Yeah, where it's, he can still, but I mean like pure comedy when he just gets to be funny. I'm like, this is great. I want this too, as well as everything else. Sure. Yeah. So it's just nice because Keaton is really funny. Like, Bruce Willis was really funny in Death Becomes Her. This, Keaton's also really funny. But Keaton kind of, now as I've grown up, I see him more as a comedic actor than I did Bruce because he, Keaton never really went, like, hard action star after Batman. Batman kind of seems like the small blip. Yeah, I guess so. I'm not really, I don't see him running around with pistols. And no, because, like, he did <laughs> Multiplicity, he did Jack Frost, and then he kind of just fell off for a long time. He was also just like relegated to nothingness for a very long time until Birdman. Birdman was kind of the big yeah. resurgence. Yeah. So. I mean, he'd pop up here and there, but yeah. 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 But that was his big like return to form in a way. But then that was drama. So because then Spotlight and The Founder are all dramas. So it's like now he's a dramatic actor. But him Anyways. with the Oscar winning makeup on here. Like, I, I don't know. Like... I'm looking right at him, just the amount of black around his eyes and, like, the mold around his face and everything. It's hard for me to, like, discern that that is the same person. That's <laughs> Batman. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> Sorry, guys. I, I just want to clarify to for the audience. I'm sick, so if I become nasally at any point, that's that's why. Okay. Um, yeah, you're right, because, like, in the makeup, this guy, this guy doesn't look like he's going to be Batman next year, right? Like, he doesn't look like... He looks like a, a goof who's, like, rolling around on some fake foam grass, like, mm-hmm. having a good time with crud on his face. And great, like you said, great makeup, but he doesn't look like Michael Keaton. Even, like, how I think of Michael Keaton doesn't look like Michael Keaton. Yeah, and part of it is in how different he's acting, I guess, too. Yeah, Like, there, exactly. there's something to the effect of, like, he's ad-libbing a lot of what he's doing here. And I believe sure. it because it's just so off the wall. Uh, but, yeah, it... it it works. I think it's And they, they liked... Because I know I know Burton really likes his collaborations, right? Like, he's he likes, like, his collaborators being regular. Like, jo- Johnny Depp is a big one where he's... I mean, eventually, it'll basically just be Johnny Depp for another <laughs> 20 years or something. But, yes. Yeah. Right. It's, we're a few years away from he that He allows happening. Johnny Depp to really explore the space <laughs> when they're working. Yeah. Uh, which, you know what? Has some, like... Has some genuinely great performances and some one some of the laziest performances of both, In both of, their... of their sides. Yeah, but yeah. man, Edward is so good or whatever. Yeah, Edward's yeah. so good. I I'm a, like a I secretly not secretly I love Sleepy Hollow. I think Sleepy Hollow is a real Sleepy beat, Hollow like is really... is pretty fun. It's kind of grisly yeah. in a weird way, but it's like early forensic science or something. Something they're joking yes. around with at, with this Ichabod Crane, like as this first CSI man or something yeah. with his crazy gadgetry. The other uh, one I I secretly like. So this one's more secret because the world really hates this one. I think people like Sleepy Hollow. Is uh, Dark Shadows? I I had a yeah. blast with Dark Shadows. <laughs> 
That was like the last movie I got to see at Movie Dome, like the beloved second run theater yeah. near our place here. So I I have a fondness for it too. Uh, but yeah, it's... like the way you talk about Mordecai, that's what I think about Dark Shadows. <laughs> okay, we're just like, man, this is fun. This is a fun time. Yeah, yeah. It uh, is. People though. hate that. That people bizarre, hate that movie though. Like so fight much. sex scene with Eva Green. <laughs> When they're it's just so like weird. floating around this room, but they used to be partners, and it's just and it's the like... movie, the movie doesn't work as a film because they're just trying to build like a season's worth of like like soap opera storylines into one film, but like or yeah, like are these callbacks to like this '60s show that I have not seen? Like, what are these bits? But it's just yeah. like, eh, whatever. Alice Cooper's here, sure, yeah, whatever. Um, yeah. So anyway, so Tim though and Keaton. They have, like, this short run now, like, Beetlejuice, Batman, Batman Returns, and then that's it, right? Like, I'm trying to think of anything else that Keaton's been in that he's done. I mean, I don't he might he's... throw a voice in somewhere or something, but I, okay. I don't know. Yeah. But, yeah, it's, like, it's all of a sudden finished. And I, I wonder sometimes because I know Keaton gets really – uh, he has, like, image – mental image issues. Like, he thinks – like, him coming back to be the Batman – in my mind, is like not. It could be a really fun thing for fan servicey for all the stuff. But in my mind, it's like Michael Keaton being like, "Yeah, I am the star. Like, I am the coolest guy in the world because I'm Batman." And it's like, do you think that? I, I or is it like kind of like a weird career regression or something? No, I, the way he talks about when he was doing Vulture stuff, like he was like really into being the Vulture for Spider-Man, but then like when Morbius was coming out and he was doing the press circuit around it. And it was just like all this promising setup stuff. He kind of just like, and then I hear about these behind the scene things about just him having a bit of an ego. Yeah. And like when the Batman stuff actually then happened, it was like, Oh, okay. Like this, there's some potential things here that I could see maybe why Burton and him don't work with each other or why Beetlejuice doesn't work out because maybe it wasn't going to be Michael Keaton as the star. Oh, like why would Ghost Hawaiian not manage to hit production or whatever? Yeah. yeah. It's weird reading like the kind of timeline for Burton on this because it sounds like he was already working on Batman but wasn't getting the green light or whatever on that. So this yeah. was kind of like a, all right, we'll throw this together like project. It was kind of between Pee Wee being a success and Batman coming out. Yes. This crossed his desk at some point and he was like, Yeah, this is kinda neat and then they made this. Like it was it sounds kind of like an afterthought. Like sure. it wasn't Oh I, and the thing that like he made it so much his own though, right? Like there's so yeah, many Yeah, there there's some creative calls that I think really work. Like it's like we have a really small effects budget, and it's like, okay, we're going B movie cheese then. Like it's gonna look yeah, fake, but and we're fun. gonna do like animation, like stop motion and stuff like that. Like for yeah, and it doesn't have to look real. It can look janky, but that's cute. Like, yeah, because like his teeth, the teeth of the sand snakes even had the black and white stripes that he likes. Like that's what I was like, oh, that's a fun little thing. Yeah, he likes the black and white stripes, like as a big thing of his. And the teeth on the sand snake have those stripes too, and it was just a weird little fun thing oh and even even like the anytime they're on that crazy planet it kind of looks bad but in a way that's fine yeah it's, it, it works like they make it work for them like the separation um, of like gina davis or baldwin and the background is is severe but it's yeah. just like ah whatever like this is zany so that's the thing like that i don't get about because 
like you said, this movie did make a decent amount of money. Fifteen million, like seventy five like million dollars. Five times its budget, essentially. That's yeah. a huge. That's a huge win. And this movie's always kind of been not a cult classic. It's always been a hit. So why there's never been a sequel? Like Goonies makes less makes more sense to me because it wasn't didn't do great. It did okay at the box office, and it cost a lot of money. Yeah, I guess. Whereas so. this movie didn't cost a lot and made a lot, and by all intents and purposes, everyone seemed like they wanted to do another one. And that just never seemed to come together, though. Yeah, I guess I'm trying to think. Like, I mean, obviously, once Batman is huge the next year, Warner would prioritize a sequel to that over a sequel to this. Sure. But then didn't he do a movie between Batmans, or did he go right on from Batman to Batman? Uh, I want to say Scissorhands was in there, like, between them. Because it was 90, 89 and 92, One. right, was Returns? Yeah, was so Scissor 91 Hand, 91? is Scissorhands. Okay. Yeah. So he went to... And that was like honestly when I think of Tim Burton, Scissors Hand is like the most Tim Burton movie I can think of. Like yeah. the most of his aesthetic and his Just choices. Just Bo Welching it up again and yeah, yeah it's but the most of it type of thing. Um, yeah, okay, and then yeah, Batman Returns obviously being a, a delightful like mix of the two now because he kind of he has his own power and authority because the first yeah. movie has like a little bit of like the studio look to it like you can't be too weird. But then the second movie is like, oh, yeah, we're going to go full Tim Burton on the second movie. Right. And it is a different production designer and stuff. So, like, Gotham looks a little more straightforward. Uh, it looks like a city. Yeah. Like a little. It looks like actually the Gotham City from, like, the serials, like the cartoon, like Metropolis. Like, it looks like a, a, a like the wide shots are always like these old. um, Old gothic architecture building. and Gothic yeah. buildings. Yeah. That are kind of like a little crazy. Whereas his next one's a lot of gray and white a lot of gray white and black mm-hmm. buildings anyways and um, the extreme christmas bent is yeah <laughs> yeah just fun uh yeah so i guess we get back to beetlejuice these new york people are moving in Catherine o'hara jeffrey jones and winona Ryder. yeah the deetses uh, the deetses yeah. they're, they're consultants uh otho uh glenn shaddock's character otho, who yeah. is uh yeah Sorry, you and we 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 watched. Uh, he was wasn't he your MVP for Demolition Man? Oh, was he? Uh no, it was the director of Demolition okay. Man. Uh, okay. but I've I've called him out in like Sleepwalkers and that and stuff as just being like a fun character actor that I like. Yeah. Uh, but this is his like on Wikipedia most famous for Otho and Beetlejuice. Yeah. Like this is the one, right? Uh, but yeah, he's he's a fun, pretentious former supernatural investigator slash hair consultant or something <laughs> hair analyst i think best he says friend potentially of best Catherine friend Hara. of of uh delia deets uh yeah. strokes her ego a lot about her art and everything yes like, oh no you're doing great you're killing it <laughs> and i um Catherine o'hara is really fun in this too Catherine o'hara is a lot is a lot of fun in this movie i really appreciate that like unlike all of her sctv compatriots she kind of just like went her own way mm-hmm Right? Like, she just kind of etched... Because to me, she's either this person or she's Kevin's mom. You know what I mean? Yeah, she's Mrs. McAllister otherwise. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So... And she does both very well. So... uh, But this family... Okay. If you were to look at this family, if I was to look at this family, I would assume Jeffrey Jones was the stepfather. Because Delia and Winona are both... Have very similar aesthetics. 
like both a little gothic, both a little trendy to the new and a little to the dark. Yeah, new modern or something like a lot yeah. of black obsidian Where stones. Jeffrey Jones is just like a dude who wants to get out of the big city and, and get his cabin life something. on, yeah, or something. Yeah. And but he's the actual father to Winona, and Catherine O'Hara is the stepmom. Yeah, yeah. Odd families are kind of. I'm not going to say Michael McDowell's wheelhouse or whatever, but there there's commonalities between this group of characters we see here and this novel, The Elementals. Uh, gotcha. Very similar kind of lines can be drawn. Uh, but Lydia is such a, like, goth prototype or something. Like, she's very, like, oh, I myself am strange and unusual, and she's wearing, like, this giant black sun hat and taking photos of and inadvertently noticing ghosts because she's just tuned in that way. She, it's, it's yeah, a what, fun what's character. the argument that they make that most people ignore the dead yeah it's kind of you won't see them because you you're just not you're just not on that vibe or like yeah. you're not on that wavelength kind of yeah thing. exactly most people ignore the dead and she is i thought that was kind of neat with otho because he's like close to that like he he sees a glimpse when they're walking around the house kind of deciding how to change it which sets yeah. up the closet gag pretty yes. well we're like uh, amateur ghosts, Adam and Barbara, are trying to scare them away while they're, like, destroying their aesthetic and their home. Yeah, uh, she's so... making... She is making a monstrosity of a house, though. Like, Oh, yeah. Like, it, it, and they play it real fun. Like, when they step into the netherworld for a few months and, like, step into this room and just, like, this is the weirdest, most, like, bizarre room yet. It's like, oh, no, this is our house. Like, this, <laughs> this is what she did to our house. Yeah, because when you uh, go into the netherworld, time acts differently right like it's it's like faster in the never like it it it's like you're closer to it's a narnia pole. time kind of rules or something but like the opposite but the opposite because in narnia you can be gone for seconds and it'd be years to you but in the oh, nether right. world it's it's years to you in narnia but it's it's seconds not in as the real world versus in the, in the nether world. world it could be seconds in the real world it could be months i guess yeah it's inverted uh, yeah. but yeah, so they're, they step out for a minute and they're gone for months kind of thing or hours yeah. in Adam's initial case with the, with the closet and everything or like the front step. Uh, but sorry, the closet joke is kind of like them reacting like, Oh God, this looks horrible. And it's not Gina Davis ripping off her face. It is the closet is so small. <laughs> like it's, it's them kind of like having this moment of judging they, can, the they can't actually see them though at that point. No, no. But the, because you think like Otho has that true glimpse, you get the sense that maybe he did. So gotcha. it, it makes that whole joke play. Um, uh, but yeah. So they decide at this point, they've been, so before this family moves in, they're given, because they're newly dead, they're given a handbook that reads like uh, an instruction manual to the handbook for the dead is what it is. Recently deceased. Yeah, but when recently Adam deceased. sees initially, he says recently diseased, which is also funny stuff. It's good yeah. stuff. But anyway, uh, and so they got to go through this, like, turns out dying is like worse than life because it's just filled with bureaucracy. Like you just got to like hammer it out. In it's this like, thing. yeah, it's like there's an office that is just overworked. Like there's one tiny little office somewhere that's serving all of dead people. So yeah. <laughs> yeah, like you, waiting you're room. you will wait hundreds of years to get help and mm-hmm. then you might not get help if you... You know, and you only get paper. three appointments for a 125-year period. Yeah. So, yeah. Which it's, seems it's like it's only a few minutes in the nether realm, but I think it's the 
years in the real years so they yeah. burn they burn one of their appointments really early seeing juno this kind of fun caseworker character well and juno so i was i recognized her off the bat and being a mars attacks fan oh. juno is the savior of the entire world and mars attacks because she loves the yodeling cowboy song and that's what kills all the aliens okay the she's grandma. the grandmother in the old folks home listening yeah. to yodeling yeah, yeah. okay great <laughs> so Sorry. um yeah, so they go and they try to get help, and then that's when they they at this point they've seen a commercial of Beetlejuice, but they're like, no, he seems sketchy, which good, rightfully so, he's sketchy. Well, and Juno warns warns them away. But from then they him. go to Juno, yeah. and then Juno's like, well, why don't we just go to Beetlejuice? And like, don't go to Beetlejuice; he'll do all those terrible things. Blah 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 blah. Don't even and then say they his go name. Back. Like her cautioning them, kind of like it's like that thing where you shouldn't just don't even mention it like don't put the bug in their ear of yeah. like don't say his name three times like well now i'm obviously gonna do that because i'm curious <laughs> you know but she sure. but hopes I mean, they'll they take to, her heed yeah there had to be a plot point in the movie where the someone mechanics. would say her name three his name three times because why would i think to do that if i'm talking to you nathan and i kept saying nathan and then you look at me like yeah and i'm like nathan like it would be it's like, like but if I acknowledge time. you right away, that won't happen. But, exactly. Yeah. So um, it's almost like he has to ignore them for the first two times. And then they go like, Beetlejuice. And he's like, no, ignoring them. And they, Beetlejuice. They ignore them. And then they yell the third time. He's like, gotcha. Type of thing. He's, he's creeping know. around their cemetery in the model. Which, so, uh, yeah. He's hanging about trying to get them to say his name three times. And all the while, they then start teaming up with Lydia because Lydia doesn't want to live there either. She wants to be back in New York City or just doesn't want her stepmom to be happy. Uh, I, I feel like she likes how the house is. So she's with Jeffrey Jones on that page. Yeah. Uh, Charles, I guess. And then she she's the one that like kind of sees them for the first time with like the photo bit. Like the sheets yes. situation. Yeah. Uh, where she assumes there's like kinky stuff going on when it's fact it's just two inept ghosts trying to <laughs> yes. be scary. Yeah. Uh, which, yeah, uh, I like that stuff too. It's got like kind of sure. amateur criminals sort of vibe of just like, I don't know, we're trying to be scary, but we're not. Although yeah, I did, haunting. I did like that. Like there's the severed head bit with Baldwin. Yes. I was really surprised how bloody that stump was for like a PG <laughs> movie. <laughs> like, yeah. it's like, this is a pretty grisly joke, but it's, fine i guess like it's light enough it doesn't sure. matter yeah yeah um yeah no it, i mean this movie toes the line of pg pretty well actually given like beetlejuice's content of the jokes he's making yeah and pg-13 does exist at this time so it's like close to tipping the scale but i guess they manage it with like no language or anything like yeah. there's except the one where like he imp somehow yeah there's an f word in a pg movie but and it was like an improv line, like he just the set actually did that, and he yeah. He said I don't that. think there was rules around PG thirteen back in those days, like they are now, where like if you you can have one F word if to make it in a PG movie, but it can't be like it can't be like F you. It has to be like F this or there's no yeah. There's no sexual here. connotation to what he says at all. He's just yeah. insulting their model's quality, I guess. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, anyways, and then they start. She's. Lydia then starts supporting the two ghosts in stopping or causing a headaches for her stepmom type of thing, who is trying to convince her friends that she is still worthwhile. 
Well, her dad's not doing a great job either. Like they're they're both kind of looking to like exploit the town is Charles things at the thing at the first time he he's like maybe a former stockbroker or something he's got a lot of money and he's trying to convince Robert Goulet that they can buy this whole town yeah Uh, and once the ghosts kind of become apparent to them they're like oh this is even better we can exploit these ghosts and make money off of these ghosts is sort of the pivot in the business plan I think yeah up until this this movie, when they first introduced me to Jeffrey Jones, I was, like, on board with him because I was like, oh, here's a dude who just, like, wants to get out of the city, grow into the country. And then it felt like 20, 30 minutes in, all of a sudden they added this plot point of him, like, no, I'm going to, like, screw over the small town. Well, I care it's about like, these ghosts. It's just he's he's trying to he, – he can't get the yuppie out of his blood, right? Like, he's yeah. like, no, all my sh- crappy, like, New York friends should come out here and we should all buy places. Like, he's he's, like – inadvertently going to be a big problem for the normal small town folks of this of winter what is it winter springs or something sure anyway this little connecticut town uh but yeah so his whole thing sort of gets murky a little bit i i'm not really sure what what his deal is like what his grand plan is when he's describing the dumb stuff he wants to do to the town it's just like oh we're gonna have this like insect zoo and it's like, what are you doing? Like, what is this kooky scheme? But whatever. I mean, to be fair, he's scheming with Robert Goulet. So that's yeah. like, I should immediately put it in your brain of like what type of scheme we're getting into here. But Robert Goulet thinks he's like a putz or whatever at the outset. Yes. Like he hangs up the phone. just like, that guy, whatever. But this is one year or two years out of Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Uh, two years, I guess. 1986 okay. is, yeah. Oh, when he's the principal? Yeah, the principal. That's like those are always been the two main Jeffrey Jones's role. Is it Jeffrey Jones? It is Jeffrey right? Jones, yeah. Who uh, No, we don't I mean, okay. We I guess we can just asterisk uh, just I mean, Jeffrey okay. Jones. Like Brittany and I were kind of like, Man, Jeffrey Jones is funny in this movie. Too bad real Jeffrey Jones is such a piece of crap. Like he's well, a sex criminal. Like yeah. yeah. Full on sex criminal who still, somehow still gets work. Um Roger Ebert doesn't really like this movie very much, but his one, like, asterisk star he really likes about it is Jeffrey Jones. He praises him pretty heavily in his review. Okay. So, I did um, like the scene where he's about to steep his tea, and then suddenly a sculpture breaks through the window, and he goes, ah. So, <laughs> yeah. you know, he's got something, I guess. Yeah. Or did I mean, in the 80s. Quick, we'll just put the asterisks there. Yeah, obviously, Jeffrey Jones is kind of a piece of garbage. Obviously, Al Baldwin... Kind of a piece of garbage. Oh, uh, in very recent days, yeah. Yeah, that's well, but it's it's kind of just catching up to him because he's always been a piece of garbage. Actually, you're right. There there was that kind of really heated phone call with his daughter, his daughter or where he calls her like he calls her a pig. Yeah, it's when he punches like at paparazzi's. He like there's like proof now of like his wife lied about this reporter that touched her, and there's like video proof that she just approached her and then he went after her and was like intimidating her and just like calling her. So yeah, kind of a bully kind of a He's just yeah, sort of, he's yeah. not a good guy. The whole Baldwin clan seems to be pretty off as people. Yeah. Um but Alex just the star of it all, who now is being put up for manslaughter churches. Um so yeah. We still got so, Keaton O'Hara but put those aside. And That's what Fiona. I mean. Put those aside. Let's just get them out of the way. I like Jeffrey Jones in this movie. Alec Baldwin is never my favorite, but I thought he was fine. For me, Gina Davis stole all those scenes away from her, from him. So, 
Yeah. And I like Winona Ryder. I like Michael Keaton. I like yeah. Catherine O'Hara. So I, I think it's still pretty, like a pretty great cast overall. Oh, 100%. In yeah. this window of time. Yeah. In this it window can... of time, we now have the the unfortunateness of, you can almost any movie we cover in our podcast, we can probably find somebody who's a piece of garbage. Somewhere some in the credits, something yeah. happens. Yeah. Exactly. So we, we said it, we put it out there, but we don't need to focus on it. Um, oh, okay. So, okay, this all leads to, like, my favorite scene in this movie, which is the uh, first Harry Harry Belafonte sequence at the dinner table with their friends. Okay, sure. Uh, it's – who is all meeting? It's, like, the their art friends dealer. from New York. Yeah, it's some friends from New York. It is not Robert Goulet at this point. Uh, but the ghosts come back and figure they – like, Adam and Barbara think they have a great idea to scare them away. They, I guess just with their interactions with Beetlejuice a couple times and reading the book and whatever, they can basically possess people. Uh, so they manage to possess the entire dinner table and make them dance around this Harry Belafonte song. Which is great. Thinking this will terrify them. Yeah. Uh, but instead, it turned like a boring dinner party into a wild hoot and everyone's really excited. Well, here's the thing. I mean, you talked about this because... They're not good ghosts. They didn't do anything scary. Like, even when I'm watching this, I'm like, this is hilarious and like, fun. Like, this maybe the shrimp cocktail hand grabbing your face, like, kind of yeah. scary. But yeah. in, after, like, the fun dancing around bit, you're just, you're still just on a high from that. Like, you're not too Yeah, if somebody was dancing, that. if I was had Harry Belafonte's voice coming out of my mouth, I'd be like, yeah, maybe this is a little scary, but... Yeah, it's I'm at the outset of that scene. It's Catherine O'Hara just starts singing, and it's like, does everyone in this situation just assume there's a hidden stereo and she's like doing a bit she's like lip syncing but then it gradually starts taking over more people i really enjoyed that like the art dealer's wife plays it perfectly of being like horrified at what's happening but in like still doing it like the expressions (laughs) she is making are my favorite in that scene like she's the person i'm looking at and enjoying the most like jerkily swinging her napkin around in time with the music and stuff, but being like upset. It's like very, I don't know, drama school games kind of happening. Oh, sure. Like, Oh, this is an exercise we're doing where like something's happening unconsciously and you're, you're reacting. It's very big reactions. It's fun. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, this ends up being like, Oh, proof of ghosts to the rest of them. Now they yeah. know there's ghosts upstairs. It's not just and like, this a is when they feeling. start aiming towards taking advantage of these yeah so they send couple. lydia upstairs to like bring them down to meet with them and it's like what no they're like embarrassed they they were trying to scare you guys <laughs> it's like oh well otho maybe you figure out something and he has the handbook now uh, yes. and he's gonna he's gonna read through that and try to try to figure out something uh for the big meeting which is going to be goulet and his wife coming to like see if this is a real investment opportunity yeah 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 uh and in the meantime, I guess, like, right after this this dinner party, like, doesn't go the way they want, they decide to actually employ Beetlejuice to yes. scare them. Well, and that's uh, the thing about this, like, we're at, like, the hour mark in the movie, and now Beetlejuice is actually playing a, a role in the plot. Yeah, Beetlejuice finally gets to, like, go to work or whatever. Yeah. It's it's interesting. Um, uh, yeah, sorry. And But then it soon comes to light that he is not on the up and up right like he is 
has nobody's best interests other than his own. Well, Juno was right and he's no good. And this is when he first like sees Lydia and is kind of then after her specifically and sees her as an opportunity to become living again or something. I don't quite understand the mechanics, but it's like if if a dead person marries a living person, you get to come back. He's not dead. He's a demon or poltergeist or whatever. The movie is not very clear. He's not just a dead spirit. He is like, uh, a being of some sort. He's been around a long time, I think, is what it is. Because he, he talks about having been at the plague and everything, like the Black Plague. That's what I'm saying. Like, I don't think, but I don't think he is a human, a post, like a post-life human. I think he is. I guess I, I'm bringing some other extracurricular stuff from like other drafts and things I was reading about. There's talk that he did kill himself, like clumsily. Oh, a thousand. Okay. So years there was ago. like backstory outside of this. Because it right didn't now, make it into the finished product kind of thing. But okay, because yeah. the way it works based upon, like, mythology around, like, demonology is, like, if it's, like, if you know the demon's name in demonology, if you know the demon's name and you say it back at it, you can cast it out. Sure. So that's a big thing. So Beetlejuice's name being said is a part of demonology concepts. So that's uh, what makes me think it's a, he's the a three names thing. I guess came from later in the screenplay development. That was like one of Warren's contributions. Just like a stick, they needed to get, like they need to. Well, get it kind of it it allows him to be controlled at all, as opposed to like as or soon defeated, as right. As soon as the Maitlands like open that coffin, they've opened Pandora's box, and Beetlejuice is going to be a problem. Like was yeah. kind of the original trajectory. Uh, whereas now he's he's a little more reined in. And more well, mischievous they, and they give him a MacGuffin to be defeated too, right? Like that's the thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because if you don't, if he's just a demon you set loose and you don't set rules up around him, then there's no I, way. I was kind of mental mathing it. Like, I feel like the movie as it is now is like 86% comedy, 14% horror. Like it's barely horror. Sure. The original like thing I was reading that was pitched, it sounds like 70% horror. Like this was way more of a horror movie at some point gotcha. in time. And then uh, Tim Burton rolled around and kind of made it more fun. Uh, yeah, it kind of got ironed out into something different, and there was there was some creative differences and stuff along the way. Uh, with from the for the original writer and Tim Burton. Yes, yeah, and Larry Wilson, I think, who's also a story contributor. Like yeah. there, there was kind of a bit of a gap in what they were shooting for here i guess gotcha. i like i think i like the compromise like i like the fun light 90 minute family fun <laughs> that sure. this ended up being i still would be interested in like the strange version like at some point you could just develop that into a completely different movie i just that... i guess the question is like if that movie got developed tim burton couldn't really be at the center of it because he doesn't really do straight horror Oh no, I, d- I don't think it would be him at that point. It would be yeah, like okay, no, cool. we're we're going off in like a different Like Guillermo direction. del Toro, and it would like version. remind you of Beetlejuice vaguely, but it would be very strange. So yeah, so it'd be like more like a Guillermo who can do gothic horror, but like more on the gothic on the horror side, more on the horror, horror side than the f- yeah. the funny side. But maybe you chuckle a couple times, like sure. that kind of thing, yeah, or yeah. at least just enjoy the outlandishness of. So the kind premise. of similar to it because it has some funny in it. Yeah, no, I, I was honestly thinking more like a Pennywise situation would yeah. be what this would be like. Okay. Uh, and I'm game for that. I, I I feel like you could look into McDowell's like bibliography and find a lot of great potential for stuff. Uh, but I'll get into that later, I guess. Okay. Um, but yeah, like, uh, all right. So Beetlejuice has been summoned. He turns to the snake, scares all the dinner guests and everything. 
Uh, but that does not deter this idea of like, no, we're going to turn this town into like ghost central. <laughs> like we're going to mm-hmm. have an amusement park and whatever. Uh, so Robert Glay does come out. Uh, Otho summons the Maitlands, but in so doing, he might be destroying them forever. Like he didn't really read all the way to the end yeah. of this ritual he's doing. So they start to like decompose and crumple as ghosts. Once well, I think summoned. they bring them back to life, but then they, they're dying in real life again type of thing. Yeah, their bodies start aging and crumbling in this weird kind of, kind of, kind of, th- this is where, like, it's at a sweet point for me with, like, the little bit of melancholic, grim stuff Burton plays with. Like, this this was kind of sweet and sad at the same time, seeing mm-hmm. Gina Davis kind of, like, Oh, and very looking... good, sp- very good, like practical effect makeup type of thing. Oh yeah, this is where the Oscar is won, I think, is yeah. in some of this makeup business here. Uh but just just the weird sad way she's looking at Lydia and at this point they've basically expressly said like, you know what, we can put up with the Dietzes cuz I like Lydia a lot. Like she she seems like a great kid. We could we could make this work or whatever, but then yeah. the summoning happens and sure. like it it kind of creates like a uh, stakes, I guess, for this final bit. Uh, and Lydia, in desperation to try to stop this ritual from happening and like save them, agrees to marry Beetlejuice, uh, if if he's able to fix it. And I was really watching, like, what does he do exactly? And he just kind of says a joke, like late night show style, and then does a little golfing motion, and apparently that's all it takes to like not have them die. <laughs> like he's just that powerful. <laughs> yeah. I think he's just casting a a, a like. It's just putting, a, putting of, a stop to it. He somehow yeah. has that power. Uh, uh, and yeah. And then, so then we go into the sequence where Beetlejuice is trying to quickly wed Lydia while. After potentially uh, killing Robert Goulet. Yeah. <laughs> while um, Alec Baldwin and Junior Davis are being brought back to life, but then they know how bad this could be. There's a sequence of events that I really like where Gina Davis gets his name out twice and he stops her twice. First time he throws a zipper on her mouth in a very cartoonish way, and then she zips Opens it open and zipper. says it. Yeah. And it's great. And then the third one being, like, the metal plate over the mouth. And I was, like, fascinated by, like, how good those looked. Like, how cartoony they looked, but also real life they looked. I thought they nailed it. I was so um, – that stuff is, makes me happy inside. Yeah. It's like real the makeup's cartoons. good. The sound effects sell it more. It's it's fun. It's fun stuff. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, like, yeah, as, as much as uh, – the reflecting on it makes it sound like, oh yeah, the effect budget, like Warner Brothers really shortchanged us or whatever. I really just like how simple some of the stuff is. Like when they draw that chalk door and open it, it's just like, this is just like a crummy looking like stucco thing. And then like green light is back there, but it somehow sells this high concept thing. Like they're stepping through this portal into the netherworld or whatever. Like I like that the chalk lines didn't actually turn into a door. It was just like the brick breaks open in a very intricate way. It was despite (laughs) like like, Baldwin's uh, crappy doorknob and everything. Yeah, exactly. Like, I, I don't know. I, yeah, you're right. Like the limitations I think helped this movie for them to be more creative yeah, um, and, it and oh, I I love like all the underworld stuff, like just the the little glimpses of like like the football players, the guy like that's been squashed is on this like yeah specially designed rail that goes into a f- folder shape for him or whatever. Like there's just there's so much universe like 
glimpsed at in that little fleeting couple minutes. Like, yeah. just open a door and be like, oh, that's the Lost Souls room. You don't end up in there. It's like, okay, what? And then it's just like, moving on. Like, whatever. I missed it this time, but I have this weird recollection that the Blues Brothers are in. There's a reference to the Blues Brothers in this sequence? Uh, there was some sort of... I, I read that sentence, too. It was something about, like, in... There's a moment where you can, like, see an audience in a movie theater, yeah. like, through a wall or something, and it's sort of, like, implied that's you guys in the movie theater audience, and the Blues Brothers are there. Like, oh, they're okay. part of that crowd or something. I missed that, too. It's, like, a background bit. Okay. If it's okay. still there. But, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Subtle stuff. Um, sure. But, yeah, just, just how big the movie feels despite, like, being in a house. Like, it's it's 95% of it is in one house. Yes. Yeah. But it still kind of feels On like one a set, high concept movie in a way. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh obviously they stop Beetlejuice. He gets sent back to the Nether Realm and we talked about well, the end of the movie. He gets stopped and- in the weirdest way. Like yeah, they keep trying to say Beetlejuice t- three times to s- banish him, but instead he kind of like flicks flicks his hand and sends uh barbara to saturn again or whatever like to titan and she full-on like paul atreides like communicates with the sandworm rides it and eats him <laughs> yeah and eats him so they don't actually say his name three times he just like just it's, suddenly the he doesn't portal like sandworms opens. so he really hates sandworms so that's, he hates they sandworms, yeah that. yeah he does so. uh but he does not die because he's in this like goof at the end where he's just kind of covered in sand sitting in the waiting room and uh, they have a little post epilogue bit with Beetlejuice. They do have a post epilogue bit. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And a fun little gig. So, cool. Yeah, it's a it's a fun movie. I quite like it. Why don't you uh, tell us a little bit about Brittany's experience with this? Uh, Brittany probably saw it younger than me. She was like seven. She assumes uh, mostly because of the Harry Belly Harry Belafonte song. Yeah. Her grandma had that record because it was a big hit record. One of the one of the top sure. selling individual pop records of that era. Uh, but it's just like, Oh, Hey, let's listen to the Beetlejuice song. That's <laughs> like, all right. Yeah. Put this Calypso on and there you go. And it's like, yay. So yeah, Brittany loved listening to this song at her grandma's house because of this movie. Uh, and yeah, just, just, we both like this movie. I think we both owned copies of it and just enjoyed watching it for different reasons. So it was a nice, yeah meeting point i guess with uh common common ground i guess just cool. liking beetlejuice so yeah all right well since we're kicking off our mvp Brittany gets to go first Brittany's mvp went to bo welch uh just for like i th- what did she describe it it's just like just for like basically establishing her aesthetic or something that's like seeing this at a young age just like this looks awesome and i like how this looks sure uh, uh, that th- I Bo Welch is my MVP. Just to jump in for the oh. exact same reason, not because it's my aesthetic, but because every cool thing we see in that movie starts at the production designer level, right? Like every costume, every makeup piece, every set piece, all starts on like, hey, this is what this this movie's gonna look like, mm-hmm. and it all works so well because Bo kind of like puts this like gothic comedy spin on it right and makes cartoon reality in some ways 
Oh yeah. Like just like that, the way the fireplace like morphs into this angled thing or like that hallway where the janitor's working and stuff like all that stuff really pops for me. Uh, pretty much everything we were talking about with the netherworld glimpses, like that's heightened by what I consider the Bo Welch aesthetic. But that's what Uh, I mean. Like, like when, when a production designer sits down, they sit down and they draw out what people like costumes will look like, what makeup will look like. And then it's, all those people then have to go, costume designers have to go and execute it. So it all starts with him. Mm-hmm. So he's like responsible for, well, obviously him and Tim Burton are responsible for how this movie looks. Is and it, it just looks. Yeah, there's stuff with like the fun comedy contrast of like this small town, like a <laughs> yes. little fishing hamlet kind of thing. And then Glenn Shaddock's there in his like robe standing on the porch with like the white thing yes. behind him framing the landscape or whatever. Like, that weird... Like, patio that they have on the on the second floor yeah like just it's just nightmare. this outdoor sitting area it with like no terrible. roof on it it's yeah i don't know what they built but they they love it or delia's whole like sculptures and everything yeah uh yeah, yeah that that stuff all really really works in a fun way uh, so i i don't disagree with her choice at all but i, I no 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 with, but what is it. what's your mvp uh for me it was it was always it, like because this was the the kernel from this movie that grew into one of my like interests i guess michael mcdowell the original author of the core screenplay the original screenplay that became this eventually uh just has yielded a great crop of like fun books i like uh and it that grew directly out of like I really like Beetlejuice. Who wrote Beetlejuice? Oh, this guy. What else did he do? Oh, a bunch of great stuff. So, like, that kind of became the thing uh, for me. Like, just, I feel like him sketching out the rules of this world and, like, this weird concept is, I still credit to him. I do Mm -hmm. like Warren Scarn's, like, contribution of, like, the name three times stuff and kind of making it a little cozier and fun. So I'm not discounting that aspect of the writing also. Uh, but the person I can speak to more is just the the novelist that has written things I like. Yeah. Uh, and I've sought out like other corners of just like, oh, he did this episode of this show over here and whatever. So I've I've kind of been looking for that stuff. He also uh, worked on Nightmare Before Christmas too, right? Was his other big? He's con- also had some some contribution to that too. So this wasn't the end of the creative partnership completely, despite some tone conflict i guess with what burton was doing with this yeah uh so that's nice to hear i guess um so yeah i'm interested in hearing what you what uh, because looking at his thing i'm like oh is it his anthology contributions like alfred hitchcock presents amazing stories and tales from the dark side tales from the dark side he has a really great episode uh that he he had he wrote um i think that creepy little character that's like sort of the mascot of the show came from that episode uh tom savini directed and stuff it's it's a fun little thing yeah uh but oh he also did a tales from the crypt episode that i've seen uh and and whatnot but it's really his his novels and short fiction and stuff that are really really good Okay. Uh, so I'm I'm happy that exists and th- this this movie set me on the path to seek out that stuff. Gotcha. So I'm still on that journey, but uh, he's he was extremely talented. <laughs> so Great. yeah, um, so yeah, I guess just for for creating the the core of this whole thing that that's who I went with, Michael McDowell. Gotcha. Yeah. Sounds good. Um, oh, he passed away young, huh? Yeah, forty nine. Forty nine. Yeah. 
Warren Scarin actually passed away tragically young too shortly after this became a success, which really sucks in terms of like timing or whatever. Like December 1990, he's gone. Yeah. Uh, despite making his mark finally. Uh, and um, yeah. Stephen King really liked him, huh? Stephen King is a big evangelist of him, and Tabitha actually helped complete his final work, uh, which oh. I have. So yeah, a lot of King connections. Great. Um, but yeah, cool. Yeah, I'll look into him. Um, okay. Question time. No, no, your MVP. Oh, my MVP is Bo Welch. Oh, sorry. Yeah, I'll cut that. <laughs> uh, yeah. I just question. I decided to jump on because I wasn't going to say anything until you said Bo Welch, and then the just being responsible for the entire like aesthetic of the vibe show. I was like, whatever the visual. Yeah, I was like, that's exactly where I'm at too. I'm just like everything I visually I like about this movie comes down to Bo Welch like and yeah like not to discount any of the performers or anything like I Michael's obviously super essential to this whole thing but you kind of only get him for a little bit yep. uh, Danny Elfman's killing it on his end like it's a great oh there's so many good things about it when, when we pick MVP it's not of the slight to all the not MVPs it's just yeah it's highlighting the a big piece that kind of connects all of them together for me and that's Bo Welch in this movie because there's all these little things I appreciate about this movie I mean, I, Gina Davis is there having a great time. Michael Keaton, like you said, Danny Elfman. There's lots of good things about this movie. Bo is just the piece that, like, I for me this time, I really like the zipper mouth and the plate mouth. And I was like, that's Bo. Gina Davis is, like, like shrinking, like, oh, shriveling man. up. Speaking to Bo briefly, like, one aspect of the finale I didn't even really think about much in previous viewings was after they've kind of compromised with the Dietzes. Like, there's sort of this, like, combination of their two aesthetics happening in the house. Like, it's like, all right, we'll, like, still have our weird, severe slate gray thing, but then also your old-timey wallpaper in this, like, foyer. So it's just this odd decision of just like all right we're gonna mesh our we're two not gonna compromise very we're gonna compromise different by styles splitting down the middle like, it's really good doing. yeah it's just like like the final dance bit with like the ghost football players and everything just seeing that room is uh that is such a dark joke though the football players <laughs> yeah. like i assumed that had happened before the we are marshall stuff but it's like no yeah. no that that was like 1970 like this is sort of goofing on that it's like that's really well dark. the coach survived right so they they are saying like no no your, your coach isn't here he survived yeah just <laughs> I, I i love how this movie can get away with some of those jokes like the sure. like they make it, composing a suicide note funny that's but I mean, it's, like, it's so, so dark macabre. they macabre and it's the other movie that came out around this time that I've always wanted to watch I haven't was Heather's, which I hear is Heather's more on the, is dark. Yeah, it's yeah more on the serious side. But for if it hits the right note for you, there's a darkly com- comedic part to it too, right? It's just aged so strange because of the like school shootings and stuff. Yes, it yeah. is. It is insane that that movie exists. But <laughs> sure. uh, it is. It is of its time for sure. I feel this movie still has like a fun you can still get into. <laughs> Heather's is a very like this was a while ago like this was this would be in poor taste now but yeah. anyway uh moving on to question time th- how do I phrase this as a question uh well okay well it's not really a question it's more of a statement and then an invitation to a conversation sure so I read yesterday and was like crestfallen I guess there's uh David Fincher recently got honored with the Caesar award and was being interviewed about various things and in that, he basically said, no, like, Mindhunter is done. Like, there's, there's, like, 
for a while there's this thin thread of hope where it's just he, like he reiterated it was done he said years ago he said years ago it's probably dead but there was another quote. all the same reason it's just now time has gone by and they've never once said let's do it again type of thing so right and it kind of times out with netflix kind of just making a lot of bad business decisions and cutting a lot well, of stuff and yeah so your invitation is let's talk about netflix's business decisions business decisions and then maybe also like you know commemorate how okay, can good we end with commemorating mine hunter just so it doesn't end on a negative note because oh sure okay we'll talk about so, netflix first i guess so netflix how, so how do you feel ryan about how netflix has managed their business portfolio in the last couple of years so this was inevitable this was always inevitable for netflix because for almost every single year they became a streaming service they have built upon their debt Every single year, you would see that they made hundreds of millions of dollars into billions, but they'd always take more debt against that every year. So like one year they can make $500 million, but the next year they're going to they're gonna use that to collateralize against $800 million in debt that year. Like and then spend they did that. $800 million on budgets for things. Yes. And, and then, then they did that every single year. For the last 10, 15 years, at some point... You're going to hit a wall. <laughs> you have to hit a wall because you have to become profitable against your bottom line. They were finding that like there was no plateau because they were expanding out and they no longer can buy up other people's stuff anymore because everyone's IPs are locked down by their own streaming services now. So they had to like only expand their own market and their own brand. But in the last few years, that's become extraordinarily expensive because they're they're essentially making all their stuff from scratch. And they've also reached a saturation point where now they're the most expensive streaming service, period, by a lot of money. Yeah, yeah. that That's but, one of the things that I kind of wanted to bring up and like realized because what was it 13 14 years ago when they first debuted up here in canada like the streaming service yeah it was a no-brainer for me because it was like eight dollars yes. i was like oh dude yeah i'll totally pay eight dollars to occasionally watch like some dumb crap on here <laughs> that's fine yes. uh and was just a solid subscriber for like i don't know five six years then yep. Brittany and i met and we like had one account but we kept that account until like last year because it was like, well, we're getting enough use out of this. We're still tuning in to something. Yeah. We like Stranger Things. Like, we have things we can look to. Yeah. But eventually it tipped past the point where it's just like, I'm basically only using this to effortlessly watch old Seinfeld episodes. And that's not worth, like, $25 <laughs> a month. Because you already own it on DVD. You own the discs. You just choose not to put them just, in, right? Well, I don't, actually. But, uh, oh, like, okay. it's easy to obtain I was I was doing... Files. Oh, but here's the thing. Yes. But here's the thing. I was watching The Office on it because I couldn't be bothered to go get my discs to put in and change them out every few episodes. Yeah. It's like, so who wants Netflix to, like, on. six episodes? What is that? Just leave it on. <laughs> yeah. Let it roll. Exactly. Um... Yeah, we, we dropped our, our membership about two years ago. When Ash and I first met, we kind of reevaluated, uh, like, Spending. do we want to do this anymore? Yeah. Because, I mean, even today, I mean, the last increase was what it was. It was March, I think, two years ago. So, March 2021. And it was, it, it went up to, like, from 
to twenty two ninety nine. It was going up by three or four bucks. Yeah. And I sat there being like, because I wanted to have access to multiple screens because I was password sharing. I was letting my friends in on it. But if you go to the next tier down, it's one screen at a time. So it's just like, that's not possible. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was paying twenty two ninety nine. Months would go by and I wouldn't turn Netflix on except for to watch The Office or something I already owned out of convenience. And this final increase came in. And you know what? Like, hey, let's just cancel this. And I, that was before all this nonsense in the last six months. Because now it is still twenty two ninety nine. If you want to have an account outside of your home address, which in Canada, this is what's crazy. In Canada, your IPP address is protected. Like, it's protected by privacy laws. Mm-hmm. So the fact that they can look past the firewall that your internet provider has to see your IPP address is crazy. I, I'm people are right now. There's lawyers trying to figure out how they can do this because it's like it's like wait, you shouldn't know that I'm not at home right now. That's weird. That's so. that's what I mean. Because yeah. like that's why in Canada torrenting is illegal, but nobody can come after you because whoever your internet provider is can't offer your information to. Warner Brothers, when they get mad that you downloaded that Rick and Morty episode type of thing. Sure, yeah. So Which everyone's did, wondering this. But anyway. So now it's like twenty two ninety nine for just your house and whatever screens you have in your house. If you want to go to work, you can establish it as a secondary location, but you have to like log in with your Wi-Fi password at work or pay $7.99 per extra account. Yeah. And here's the thing. Yeah. Disney Plus is still 11.99 a month or 120 bucks a year. Like that's 6 months of that's 5 months of Netflix. Mhm. No, they they kind of act like they're still the biggest guys in town when I haven't felt that way about them for a while. <laughs> like they were kind of yeah. like our third tier thing. And it's like, "Oh, for whatever. Sure. We'll just cut you then." Like And like fine. I and I know that you're not the biggest like Star Wars and Marvel person. But I am. So for me, it's like Disney alone is like worth every... I, I would be willing to go up to the $20 a month for Disney Plus because that becomes all of a sudden, oh, there's content here I, I'm wanting to to access. Whereas Netflix, there hasn't been a show since we got rid of it where other than Stranger Things Season 4 that I wanted to watch. Yeah. I, I just felt like they were kind of like burning fans of like Britney kind of like Santa Clarita diet and that got canceled. And I'm, I was the big mine hunter fan and that got like put on indefinite hiatus slash canceled. And like only recently it's like, yeah, I mean, come on, it's not, it's not going to happen. It's like, yeah, okay. I I guess I knew that, but I was still hoping you'd figure it out. So I thought the pitch for season three was going to be like, well, it's set decades later. So we don't have to do all the expensive period detail stuff. We can no, just they, like they try to make it cheaper. But here's the thing: the metric for Netflix is, and this is what's crazy about Netflix and why streaming is probably not going to not going to succeed. Yeah, because it's, it's it's kind of hitting a bubble right now. TV used to work because you watching an episode on the night of or a couple days later on your PVR that brought money into advertisers and all these things that brought money in. Yeah, you having a Netflix account and wa- choosing whatever you watch brings no extra money to anybody anyone you're still show. paying yeah you're still paying that flat right that goes to netflix all of, you have access to all this content 
the only way that Netflix cares about something profitability is if it can gain new subscribers. And so you that's can't why perpetually gain new subscribers. Eventually, you're you going to hit how many people want to watch this. And that's so. why their shows get canceled after multiple seasons because somebody's not going to sign up for Netflix for the third season of Mindhunters. They're going to sign up for the first season of this brand new show Wednesday. Sure. And then invariably yeah. when they keep their account and the second season comes out and nobody new is signing up, they'll cancel Wednesday. Yeah. I, I mean, for all accounts, Wednesday was a hit, but like, will it make it past the two season like threshold or whatever with Netflix yes. shows? That Even Sandman. Like, yeah. Sandman got measured by like in the metrics of August as like one of the most watched TV shows last summer. And that was like the boys came out and all these big things came out. But because it didn't bring in new people, it could be watched by... So if they have 20 million people subscribing and all 20 million people are watching one of their shows, they don't care because if it didn't bring in that 5 million new subscribers, that's money that's wasted to them. Yeah, It just, yeah, it doesn't seem like a, you know, long form business model. But that's the thing. There's like a a movement right now of people online to cancel their... And they are seeing mass cancellations in Canada. Yeah. So I mean, the like I was never purposely doing the password share thing. I think I accidentally did that with Ben for a while. Like I just <laughs> logged in to watch a show at his house, and he was like, "Oh yeah, whatever. This is still here." <laughs> he was using it for a while. Uh, I was just like, "What? What are you doing?" And it's like, "Oh, whatever. It's fine." And for a while, it was fine. Even like Big Mouth would joke about it. Like it's like they knew yeah. everybody was doing it because and it was fine. Everybody knows they're doing it. But at least, like, I mean, everyone eventually, right now, Disney and Amazon are just sitting back and being like, and watching Netflix fail because they know that, here's the thing, subscription-based doesn't work because there's a lot of people now that are realizing they have such little control over what content they consume. Mm -hmm. And that's why movie theaters are starting to see a little bit of a resurgence because all of a sudden I can control what I go see in a movie. But if Netflix says, oh, we're not going to offer that, like right now HBO got in trouble because they pulled HBO shows off under this new management to license out to other subscription services. So, like, so, I have HBO Max and I can no longer watch something that used to be there? That is an HBO show. So, True Blood and Six Feet Under are both on different streaming. Even though they're HBO shows are going because they're licensing out their old TV shows now. Uh, yeah, okay. And so, it's just people are like, wait, I'm paying for this content I'm paying for access to this content for HBO, but I can't access all of HBO because you want to make more money off of these shows than my monthly subscription. So you're now licensing out these shows to all these other subscription services so they can get more users. Mm-hmm. And that's the problem. It becomes this like – it's like the the snake eating its own tail. Like it just becomes a vicious cycle of where's the real money coming from? Because it's not there. And even Disney is smartly realizing this because they lost money uh, on Disney Plus. Massive amount of money on Disney Plus the last couple of years. And now they're, they're starting to realize it's supplementary income. Their main stuff needs to be done in theaters, at their amusement parks, in somewhere else. And Disney Plus is supplementary. Like it's extra. Right. It can't like, be the so they can't justify do. like the budgets and things for the shows that they were spending or no because they lost money every single year and every single month they would lose money and that's why like avatar you'll never see an avatar size thing coming out on a streaming like debut there yeah because it can't make money it can't make money off of that it can in theaters and does 
but it can't in streaming. Mm-hmm. So, anyways, that's my U.S. IQ. But hey, Mindhunter, right? What a great show. Oh, man. It's <laughs> so depressing. Because, like, I... Okay, I love that first season. I think the second season leaves me wanting. Yeah. And that's what makes it even more painful. Because I want that third to finalize things so badly. Yeah. Like, I, I felt the second season had some weird story decisions. Especially with, like, Tench's Kid or whatever. Tench's Kid, that's the thing. I didn't mind. for any of that. I appreciated the um, Atlanta child murders. Like that, I, I liked it. Yeah, spotlight. that's true crime stuff. That's a real case Douglas was involved with. Like yeah. that also gets overlooked a lot, right, in the world, and we don't hear about it too much. Mm-hmm. So that's all very good. It's yeah, Tench's kid, and then and then the BTK BTK killer teasing that goes zero places for both seasons. Like it's kind of this running thread of like ominous you know foreshadowing or something and then we're never gonna get to see like so what like does douglas go after that guy in the future like what what happens i still feel it sort of works as like this example of how their their methods don't work yeah sort of what it is i think it's like it's because i from what i understand of the third season was going to be the undoing of holden's like uh, this is how it works. Criminal ideology. profiling, 100% success rate. This is awesome, but it's like, yeah, but what about this guy? Like he doesn't. That's what I mean. Like it's gonna. It's the guesses. third season is about his comeuppance as his because the whole thing is about him building in his arrogant. arrogance. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And then the third season is going to be the undoing of that. That like at the end of the day, we still don't really still understand psycho like psychopaths. Like we just don't get it because it can't just like profiling did bring us a lot of like good information. Hey, we got that some good can't case solves in there yeah. through this technique, but it's not, it, it, you, you know, like the human puzzle can't just be solved. That's what I mean. It's a, it's a spectrum, right? Like it's a, that's why ASD and Asperger's are all on a spectrum now because no one person is like another person. So it's a big spectrum. Yeah. And yeah. And so that's where Holden was going to get his comeuppance. But then, yeah, they introduced this, like, Tench's kid storyline, which was so, like, I I was, like, I kind of understood why they were doing it. I didn't think they were doing it well. And I was, like, maybe it could have had a payoff in season three. But as it stands right now, it just doesn't go anywhere and it kind of feels cheap. Yeah. So. It's just, like, oh, no, my own kid could be a serial killer. It's, like, what? Is, is this just supposed to be, like you're starting to jump at shadows and like see darkness everywhere and it's infecting your uh, yeah. home life. Again, a season three, I think probably would have answered all those. Yeah. Behind the scenes, I hear though David Fincher like was a pretty heavy hand in every single aspect of the show. Yeah. And like, even if he didn't direct, he was still on set doing stuff all the time. It, uh, th- that's the other thing. Like it, this has come up a couple times, like in recent years with me where I've like been reading stuff about people like specifically Bruce Campbell talked about like when Ash versus evil dead was canceled, he was basically like, Oh thank God. That was such hard work. I, I love the fans and everything. Oh my God. But geez, that was terrible in a way. So like Fincher was putting in like 90 hour weeks and yeah. living in a different city. And like I think he, 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 he was working he himself chew. to death on that show. Yes. So because he wants to do, that's why he does film. He's such so a perfectionist. Well. You yeah. know, yeah. that's why he does film so well because it's, two two and a half hour thing that will that will encompass his life for six to nine months but then it's over right like whereas a tv show is so much bigger and longer and deeper and doesn't have the same minute 
per minute budget that a movie does. Yeah. So he still has to cut corners. So which it, I know, in a way, it's like an infinite work recipe for someone like that's that. That's what I mean. Like so. it, I, that had to paint him like because it's like one of his movies costs like one hundred and fifty million dollars. But like that's what a whole season like it's less for a whole season of a TV show. It's like, yeah, he'd have to be cutting corners that he can't like want to or can't afford because yeah. he's yeah terrified and i mean i love the the way he's spending that money on the show but it, it, it is sort of bizarre like like reading the the reddit thread of people reacting to how it's like oh yeah we can't make another one it's too expensive it's like why is it expensive it's like a couple people in a room talking about murder and it's like <laughs> no dude there's so much like weird invisible cg to like make it look correct yes. all the time and, and him being the guy who like i remember watching the a Zodiac special feature and he was walking around the office. There's somebody recalling him walking around the offices of the, the Chronicle, the San Francisco Chronicle. Yeah. And he went somewhere out of almost out of the shot, goes to a cart, picks up a, a newspaper two or three deep, opens it. And it's like first couple pages or something. And then the rest is filled with blank paper. It's like, and he's is... like, Oh, this has to be an exact recreation. <laughs> like for whose benefit? It's like, well, an extra might look at this and then it'll break their, their thing and they won't be yeah. in the sixties. That is just who he is, though. Like everything has to be so deeply accurate, so it it's painstaking on the on the rehearsal side because he'll just drag it out forever. Like it's like Kubrick will shoot forever, Fincher will set up forever. Is his big thing. Like he'll make there, sure there, every there's piece... even there's just like stories from him that I just don't quite understand what it is that's bothering him. Like it's like man, when Jesse Eisenberg ran across that courtyard, it just doesn't look right. It's like, what What could look wrong with it? It's like, well, nah, no, something with the shirt. The, you've heard about the 140-take scene with Tom Cruise, right? Like, in Eyes Wide Shut. And it's like, when you find out which scene it is, it's like, it's not even like a major mo- moment. It's, it's like just he's walking like down him, the street or something? No, it's him filling up his cup or something like that in the kitchen. Like, it's just, it's like, no, 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 no I do it again. No, 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 do it again. It's like, what? Like, what do you like? Mean? Is this a bit where it's like, well, I have to break Tom Cruise's Who, will? <laughs> uh, Harvey Keitel. Harvey Keitel got fired from Eyes Wide Shut. I learned about this recently because he couldn't handle it. He was like, this is a waste of my time. And he said he got up and he left in the middle of a uh, shooting one day. That's and kind that's of Pollack. badass. But yeah, Sydney, okay. Sydney Pollack is, is his role. It was Harvey oh, Keitel yeah. was playing Sydney Pollack. Okay. Makes um, sense, I guess. Yeah. And he just got up and left and he's just like, there's no like respect for an actor on that set. And I was like, yeah, because you're a tool to him. You're not a human being. Like you're like a <laughs> bit of pigment in his painting. Like you don't, exactly. you don't matter to him the same way. No, like yeah. it's the painting that matters, not that exact color. Like it's his exact color. So you need to shut up and let him be the colorist. I, I um, sort of feel Fincher's part of that, like thinking, like just yeah, hearing I him think, talk about. I think about... to a lesser extent because he works a little bit faster and more sure but yes when it comes to details he definitely cares about those things far more than most directors mm-hmm. i've been waiting so my big thing around mindhunter yeah was like it took him away from film and then when it got canceled i was like oh at least we'll get more uh like ronnie with rama's finally coming and then Mank happened, and it was like, oh, this is exhaustingly not he, good. He's very complimentary to Netflix still in this interview because they let him make Mank and everything. Like, I know. He's not mad about it. but I yeah. know, but that's the thing is, like, he's still caught in their in this, in this their cogs because he filmed a movie, Nathan, before the pandemic called Killer. Yeah. And it still has yet to come out. It's supposed to come out this year. It was supposed to have come out last year. 
Hmm. And this is the year it's supposed to actually come out. And I'm just, I'm like, I know this guy's slow, but he needs to get out of this Netflix machine because they're going to bury him. Like they're going to. He had, he had that four or five year run there, like between 2007 and 12, where it's like, wow, there's like a Fincher every year. This is amazing. <laughs> and it's like, enjoy it now. Cause yeah, he's going to start doing the like seven year breaks and things. So. Yes. Yeah. Or like too much time spent on House of Cards and whatever he was doing. So. Oh man, House of Cards seems such like that was for me at least. Mindhunter is, has a quality and a content that I like. Whereas House of Cards, I watched for Fincher, and it is so exhaustingly terrible the way it wound up. The way it wound everything. up, and like somehow Brittany and I both lost all interest in that show at like the same moment or something. Was it was like, end of season two? It was no. It was like the second episode of season three. We were just like, yeah, okay. we're done. We no, don't no, care yeah, about that's what I mean. Anymore. Because okay, so sorry, I meant like in my mind, it was like. So the first it, season is to this... be honest, it might have been the first five minutes of season three, but we like hung on a little. No, bit. that's what I'm trying to say because yeah. the first season is all about the slow build, right? The slow like steam pot thing, but then the criticism was like nothing got accomplished in all of season one. So then they almost were like, okay, cool. Let's go to the exact opposite side of the spectrum and we're going to accomplish everything in season two and make one of the most entertaining seasons of TV I can recall. I just remember it being like so breakneck in a weird way. It was just it like, was. oh man, there's so much happening every episode. I don't even know that we're enjoying this, but we're just kind but of he accomplishes... in, the, in the, you know, water slide of it. Sure. But he accomplishes everything he sets out to do at the by the end of the season, in the season all of season two. He goes from being whipped to president in, se- in one season. So then when season three starts and they slow it down again, it's like, what is the point? Like, what are we doing here now? Mm-hmm. And that's where it lost me because I was just like, season two had di- finished it. It's Frank's story's done. He's a villain. He's an evil president. He made it what to else the top. Is there to do? Couldn't stop. And him. then they eventually have to write around him and give him an off-screen death because Kevin Spacey's also a <sighs> yeah piece of, piece of crap. Yeah, but he like he's still like the reason that show was a show. So it, it just seems so weird. Yeah, because they they pivoted to his wife, and it was like yeah she was good. But Frank is Frank. Like, well, we watched it because Frank was so evil. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways. And so that took up a lot of his life. And then all of a sudden he came back out of nowhere and he made uh, Gone Girl. And I was so pumped and I loved it. And then he, boom, went right into the Netflix cog. And it's been exhausting ever since. Yeah. And I think part of what burns me about it is, like, as far as I know, there's no – is there a great way for me to, like – own Mindhunter on my shelf. No, like just have it's a fully Netflix show. Some Blu-rays. Whereas like, like House of House of Cards. So this is a great example of coming back to the arguing argument. House of Cards is a Sony show that Netflix distributed. Okay. So you can go out and buy like Blu-rays of House of Cards. But then in about 2016, when people started talking about making their own streaming services, Netflix was like, "Oh, we're making 100 percent of our own this content." Up. Yeah. Yes. We don't want to lose it in the aftermarket and so now so nine hunter is a fully funded fully distributed fully owned because don't you own some like a daredevil or something or punisher i own because daredevil but that's again that was a licensed property property from abc Disney. right okay so because and, it's like a co-production yeah and i also own um haunting of hill house because that was a paramount tv show okay. that they distributed yeah um just like, hey, I just love Cameron Britton and Jonathan Groff having these scenes. This is great stuff. 
I can only watch that if I pay them blood money again. I don't want to do that. You or know? you jump jump onto my Plex because I have them on Plex. So. Sure. Or steal them. Yeah. Like, there's no, like, good, honest way I can just be like, hey, no. David Fincher, you did a good job. You made some good the stuff. One, the one thing I was holding out hope for with Fincher, because um, Netflix loves being a Criterion collection. Like, anytime they make a big uh, Best Picture movie, yeah. they'll get a Criterion collection. And I'll buy those because I'm like... I refuse to let Netflix be like, I have to pay them money for the Irishman or the marriage or marriage story. Marriage story. Yeah. So they sit on my shelf. Like I'm, I'm happy to own those. So my one hope is that, cause I was hoping Mank would get it, but they, it didn't do well enough for it to be, get its own thing. Prestigious enough for. Everyone. And so my hope is the killer will get one. Every single time a new movie comes out where I'm like, I can't access it. I hope it becomes like criterion will pick it up at some point, but it's yeah. Yeah. Cause otherwise I have so, to pay them. Or steal it thanks a lot netflix for <laughs> for doing that yeah uh so yeah just left in perpetual expense what's gonna happen with the btk killer will he be caught we'll never know <laughs> you'll never know unless you unless you cave in i caved even actually no that's not true i waited till the season three news was finalized and i went on and like Wikipedia, read what happened with read, that guy yeah okay. <laughs> btk because i like point. knew what happened but i didn't want to tell you because it's like part of this tv show no i know and i didn't want to be told because i was like i'm happy for the show to show me what happened dramatized but then once it was like season three is not happening i was like fine i'm gonna look it up and then i looked it up and i was like oh it's kind of anticlimactic i would have been interested to see how they handled it because what a dumb just, like, stupid thing that happened yeah. his daughter yeah didn't his daughter figure out something no no and then it was he he okay spoilers for real life uh he was taunting them like he that's one of his things he would send like creepy letters and stuff and it's like all right i'm gonna send you guys a disc there's no way you can know which computer this came from right no there's there's no way there's no way to know that and then they figured out okay it came from this church and then they found out via that yeah because like, there was the early days church computer to like make a creepy disc and send it to yeah. the fbi or whatever and it they... was the early days of the uh computer so they didn't know about my data mining and stuff like that right or at like least he... he didn't and trusted the exact wrong person to like yeah. hey just just so we're clear there's no way you can bust me on this right oh no of course not why would that <laughs> of course what are you talking about that's impossible and then nope figured it out so yeah yeah so arrested okay. and yeah what a what a bad person <laughs> what a bad person anyway that's all for this week thanks for listening uh if you'd like to send us a question for a future show email ryanokv.ca or nathanokv.ca or you can find us on instagram co-host and hive okvo podcast uh next week marks ashley's final pick in this batch she's all that a romantic comedy from 1999 this is well outside my wheelhouse but it was directed by robert iskov and written by arlie fleming jr freddie prince jr is in it until then, I'm Nathan. And I'm Ryan. Have a great week.